Welcome to the Miracle Channel podcast. Every week, you'll hear powerful messages from world-renowned pastors that air on Miracle Channel, Canada's 24-7 Christian TV station. And if you want to watch more of their messages anytime you want, check out our online streaming service, Corco Plus. Follow the link in our show notes to create a free account in three simple steps. Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Kelly Stickle. Kelly Stickle has been pastoring for over 22 years. In 2011, Kelly and his wife, Joy Lynn, started leading Parallel Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. Kelly has also authored three books, My Victory Starts Here, Six Anchors, and Minecraft. You can watch more messages from Kelly Stickle and other local Canadian pastors on The Walk, airing Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays on Miracle Channel. Let's dive into the message. Today I want to talk to you about this urgency that I am sensing for the times. I've been sensing this for the last number of months. I don't know, just in my spirit, been sensing that something is happening in the global church. Something is about to shift in a major, major way. And I know I'm not the only one. I've been talking to a lot of pastors over the last few months and leaders in the church who have been sensing the exact same thing. They're saying, man, I'm, are you sensing this? And we look at each other and say, yeah, we're sensing the same thing, that God is up to something, that there's an urgency like never before, that there's about to be a major shift. And so we've been talking about it and saying, we need to be alert in this season. Something's up. We don't know what it is. We can't put our finger on it, but we just know that God is up to something at this time like never before. Maybe you're sensing the same thing. If you're not sensing that urgency, Maybe you're sensing the other thing that I've been feeling. I don't know about you, but for me, I've been battling this, this battle in my mind, this, this discouragement. It just seems, I mean, there's times as pastors, as leaders, there's times just as, as human beings where you get discouraged. I get discouraged like everybody else. And I have moments where, man, I just, you just wake up and you just discouraged. No reason, just you're discouraged. But everything that I'm used to doing to shake off discouragement just doesn't seem to have the same impact anymore. And it just seems like, man, discouragement comes and it's been coming at, at, I don't know, multiple levels for some reason and coming at us. And I thought it was just me. I thought, man, maybe I'm going, I'm having a breakdown. Maybe I'm, I, I don't know what's going on, but maybe it's just me. But then I started hearing from others who are feeling the same way. And literally over the last few months, I've talked to hundreds of people who are saying, I feel like I'm discouraged more than normal. I've got this dark cloud hovering around me, seems to follow me wherever I go, and everything that I used to do to shake that off just doesn't seem to be working anymore. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been battling discouragement, depression, just anxiety, it's stress for some reason, multiplied attacks on multiple levels. When it's just one or two of us, we could chalk that up to, that's just you. But when it's multiplied, hundreds of us, thousands of us, Man, we say something is up. I believe it's a spiritual warfare. I believe the devil is attacking Christians in particular like never before. And he is attacking us in our mind. He's attacking us with discouragement. Why? Well, because I believe he thinks that if he can discourage us, he knows, the devil knows that you're a king's kid. You're a part of, of God's kingdom, God's family, and you are untouchable. That he cannot take you out. But... He also knows that if he can discourage you, you will take yourself out. Why? Because when you are discouraged, you have the temptation to disconnect, to disengage, 
to withhold, to kind of shut yourself in, to take yourself out of the game. And he knows that there's nothing more dangerous than a Christian who's in the game, on the front lines, fighting the battle. And there's nothing that is a threat to him more than a Christian who is active and on the front lines and, and going to war against him. But at the same time, he also knows that there's, there's nothing that is dangerous about a Christian who's on the sideline, who takes themselves out. And so he's tempting us, I think, like never before, because he's sensing the same urgency. I believe that, that we are about the times changing, that God's up to something, that the day of the Lord is coming, that Jesus is coming back soon. I think he's sensing the exact same thing, and he's trying to fight like never before so that he can take us out. He knows what the scriptures say. The Bible promises that as the day of the Lord approaches, as Jesus comes back, approaches, that the church is going to rise up like never before, that there, there's going to be a revival that's going to sweep this planet. Man, I cannot wait for that to happen. But he knows that as well. And so he's doing whatever he possibly can to disconnect us, to disengage us, to get us to sit on the sidelines. And I've, I've talked to so many Christians who love God, who love the Bible, but are disconnecting from churches in droves. For good reason, many for good reason. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe, maybe you know someone who's been hurt by the church and they disconnected from the church. And as soon as we disconnect from the church, man, we, we, it's easy for us to disengage at the same time from what God is doing on the kingdom. The Bible promises that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for a glorious church. The church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. He's coming back for the church, for the bride of Christ. And, we, you know, it's not about attending a church. We are the church. But listen, there's something that happens when we are engaged together, when we're together. The Bible also says that the devil at hunts like a lion. It likens him to a lion. Well, how does a lion hunt? A lion attacks a herd, but they, they seek, when he attacks a herd, he seeks to isolate and to, and to separate the weak and, and the, the feeble and the young. He, said, he tends to separate them from the herd. And if he can isolate, that's what, when the lion attacks. And if we can isolate, if he, he hunts just like that lion. He's trying to isolate us from the herd, the herd being the church. So this is not the time. Listen to me. This is not the time to disconnect from church, to disengage from church. I know you've been hurt. I know you've gone through things. But listen to me carefully. This is not the time to disconnect. We need to be alert. We need to be sober. We need to be on guard. As I've been sensing these two things, the spiritual attack of discouragement, and I've been sensing the same urgency that God is up to something, it kind of, it pulled me to a scripture, a passage of scripture in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul writes to this early church, and he begins to write to them about the day of the Lord, and as, as the day of the Lord approaches, what to do. He says the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, and we've heard many pastors quote that and, and talk about that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. In other words, it's going to be a surprise, and no one's going to know the day or the hour. We talk about that. But then Paul goes on to say in Thessalonians, he says this, that we're not going to be in the night. We're not going to be in the dark. We're not going to be caught unaware that we are children of the light, that we're going to know and we're going to sense. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit in, inside of us. We might not know the day or the hour, but we're going to know the season. We're going to sense the season. And listen, if you're not sensing the season, I'm, I'm telling you, there's pastors and leaders and Christians all around the world who are sensing an urgency of the times like never before. I believe we're in the day of the Lord. I believe that Jesus is coming back soon. I'm not telling you he's coming back tomorrow or, or next month or even next year, but I'm telling you we're in a season. There's an urgency like never before. So Paul tells us when you're sensing that, he's telling this church, when you sense this season, he's telling them what to do. And he says this in verse 8. First 
Thessalonians 5, verse 8, he says this, but since we belong to the day. In other words, again, you're not in the dark, you're not in the night, you belong to the day because you have the Holy Spirit. He says, let us be sober, not just talking about physically sober, refraining from alcohol or drugs, although that's good. He says, you need to be spiritually sober. You need to be emotionally sober. In other words, be alert. This is not the time to have dulled senses. This is not the time to to withdraw. This is not the time to disengage. This is a time to connect like never before, to be alert like never before. Be alert. Then he says this, put on faith and love as a breastplate. In other words, he says, put it on. He's not just walk in it, but put it on. It, that's an intentionality that when you don't feel like faith, there's lots of things around you shaking. I know when I'm discouraged, I don't feel like I'm walking in boldness and in faith. And I don't feel like I, when I pray that I've got the same weight behind it. What, he says, don't, don't, don't be shaken by the feelings or the circumstances or what's around. Them. He says, no, no, put on faith. And what that means is no, walk in faith even though you don't feel like, like it. Walk in faith even though you might not physically see it. Walk in faith, even though that you, you, are, you are shaken. Walk in faith. Know that the word of God is more true than your circumstance, than your feelings. Then he says, put on love. Even though you don't feel like loving, even though there's more people that are unlovable than ever before, and more arguments and fighting and strife going on than ever before. He says, don't just walk in the feelings of love. Put on love. In other words, choose to love regardless of the feelings, regardless of of how people are treating you. Choose to put on love as a breastplate. Why? What's the purpose of breastplate? The breastplate is to protect the heart. You've got to protect your heart with faith and with love. Then he says, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. In other words, put on the hope. Put on hope. Hebrews 6, verse 19 says, this hope is an anchor for our soul that will not give out in the Amplified Bible. It says, will not give out no matter the pressure put on it. I love that. There is a hope, the hope that is Jesus. There's lots of things we can hope in, but we need to hope in the hope of our salvation, hope in Jesus, and put on hope in our mind and guard our minds. And I believe that is so, so, so important today that we, we've learned about, we've been taught faith, we've been taught love in our churches, but this is a season where we need to put on uh, the helmet of hope. Why? Because I believe the attacks that are coming today, spiritually, are attacks against our mind. That's why he, we're feeling discouraged. That's why we're feeling, you know, mentally like we got a dark cloud and fuzziness going on. I don't know what it, what it is that's going on. But the devil's attacking our mind like never before. So let's guard our minds by putting on the helmet of hope. There's strategies that we can put on hope. The Bible talks about hope all over the place. And we need to focus on this, and we need to focus on what hope is and how to put on hope. Now is not the time. If you're feeling attacked, if you're feeling the urgency, now is not the time to disengage. Now is not the time to disconnect. Now is not the time to withhold. Have you ever felt that? That you feel like, man, if everything around me is shaking, you hold everything tighter. And we begin to withhold things from others. We hold things, in this, and we just hold on things tighter because we become afraid, and we start walking in fear. We become afraid of losing what we have, and everything starts shaking, and we start holding on tighter. Listen, that's the temptation of the enemy, and he knows if he can tempt you that way, he's going to take you out. And that's what the devil wants. He wants you to disconnect. He wants you to pull back, to get off the field of play, into the stands, into the sidelines, because he knows you're not dangerous there. 
That's the temptation. So if that's what the devil's strategy is, I don't know about you, but I want to push back. I want to come back at him and resist the temptation of discouragement that's coming on me. I resist that and push back at him. So how do I do that? How do I put on, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, how do I put on the helmet of hope? How do I find that hope to protect my mind from that discouragement? What do I do? I read a study recently uh, from uh, the University of Zurich did this study and it was published in Time magazine and I found it so intriguing this study and how it, it talks about about again how people are trying to refine hope and trying to get out of depressions and trying to get out of this these discouragement and these dark clouds that are hanging on them and this study not done by Christians done by a university it's amazing what it revealed. Look at this. It says in Time magazine, it says studies have shown that older people who are generous tend to be tend to have better health. It says it says uh, Philip Tobler of the University of Zurich. He says and other research has indicated that spending money on others can be as effective at lowering blood pressure as medication or exercise. Can you imagine that? That spending money on others by being generous, it actually had such, the study showed it had such an effect on, on those who did this, that such an effect that it would liken to lowering blood pressure to the medication that your doctor gives you. Can you imagine going to your doctor and, and your doctor prescribing, hey, you want, you got, your blood pressure is a little high, but what you really need to do is not, don't take these pills. What you really need to do is give some money away. Can you imagine him saying that? I mean, this is what the study showed. It says, moreover, there is a positive association between helping others and life expectancy. He, so perhaps because helping others reduces stress. Isn't that amazing? Helping others reduces stress. It says the next time you think that the best way to make yourself feel better is to buy yourself a treat, consider that the opposite is likely true. Isn't it? I mean, it's so true. So sometimes we feel depressed, we feel heavy, or we feel whatever, and we think, man, if I can just get a relief, even just a temporary relief, if I could just get some sort of, of, of relief from the stress, and oftentimes we think, well, if I just buy myself something nice, or if I just buy myself a treat, I'll feel better. And you might for a season, might, but you end up just going right back to that dark cloud. He says, man, when you consider buying yourself a treat, he says, consider that the opposite is true. What about buying somebody else a treat or giving, being generous? That's what he's saying. He says, it's worth giving it a shot, even if you think it would not work. In order to reap health benefits, he says this, repeated practice is probably needed so that giving becomes second nature. This wasn't written by a Christian. This was written by a university professor and a study done at his university. He says, repeated practice of giving. They also said Michael Poulin from the University of Buffalo, in quoting the same study, said this, that giving habitually and authentically was a predictor for people's lives being extended. It's not just a one-time gift. He says habitually and authentically. He says the key words being habitual and authentic. Uh, Carolyn Abrams said in, in, in the Chatelaine magazine, said the same thing, quoting the same study, to earn the real health benefits of giving. Not only do you have to care, you have to be consistent Dropping a few coins in a collection kettle or serving a single meal at the local soup kitchen is not enough. Experts in the field say generosity has to be a sustained behavior for it to become meaningful, psychological, and physiological difference to the giver. Isn't that amazing? This is what university studies are saying. They're saying, man, generosity 
is going to brighten you up. It's going it's to protect your mind from dis distress and protect your mind from discouragement. It's going to help. Isn't that amazing? And the reason why I find that amazing is, man, universities are doing studies of what the Bible told us, what God told us thousands of years ago. And Timothy said this. First, uh, Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. He said this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, when I first read this verse, and you hear, command those who are rich in this world, maybe you thought, well, phew, he's not talking about me. Did you know that those who are rich in this present world, did you know that if you have a household income of $34,000 a year or more, studies have shown that you're in the top 1% of the wealthiest people on the planet? Did you know that? So I think we qualify when it says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. And this is, he's talking about hope. He says, where do we put our hope? And he says, a lot of people will have the temptation to put their hope in wealth, to put their hope in the stock market, to put their hope in the economy, to put their hope in the lottery, to put their hope in something that their, their, their tendency of the stress, the relief from stress will be, well, if I just had some more money, if I just, if I can lean on that, if I could get more money, then I could be relieved from all this, this stress. And he'd say, no, 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 command those in this world, command them, not, that's not where to put your hope. Don't put your hope there. And he goes on, because he says, why don't put your hope in wealth? Because it is so uncertain, he says, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then he says in verse 18, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, not just, not just you know, with putting their hope in God, but he says, command them now to, be, to do good, to do good deeds, that we as Christians, listen to me carefully, we as Christians aren't supposed to just love God, we're supposed to love others, and we're supposed to express our love for God by, by doing good deeds and by loving others, that we are meant uh, we were created on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is to help others. Then he says this, and command them to be generous and willing to share. Isn't that amazing? I, th this verse says, command them. I, I find that so fascinating. This is Paul writing to Pastor Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, Paul's saying to you know, his protege, Timothy, who's pastoring this, this great church in, in Ephesus. He's saying, command your people. To be generous. I mean, that's bold, isn't it? He's not saying, hey, encourage them, you know, tell them, you know, if you, he says, command them to be generous. Tell them, command them. Tell them they must be generous. They have to be generous. Why is he so strong in his language? Why is he saying command them? Why does he think this is so important? Because in verse 19, he says, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. In other words, he says, okay, they're going through battles, they're going through stresses, and the church in Ephesus was getting persecuted, you know, unlike many other churches, they were going through lots of trials. And he's, Paul's urging Timothy as a pastor, saying, command them to be generous, command them. Instead of saying, hey, just protect yourselves, just guard yourselves, just take care of yourself, just withhold, just make sure that, you, that what you have, you're not losing. He's not saying this, he says, no, no, no. Command them when the temptation is to withhold and to withdraw and to, and to set up fortified walls. He says, no, no, no. Get out there. Be generous. Share. Go. Uh, and command them to do good deeds. Command them to do this. And it's, it's, 
so very, very vital because he says that's when they're going to feel life. That's when they're going to have life and get a hold of real life. That's when he says there's going to be a relief. They're going to get life. There's going to, there's going to happen. He said the same thing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 9. It says this, verse 11 says, you will be abundantly enriched. He's talking to the church. You'll be abundantly enriched in every way. As you give generously, I love that. He says, you're going to be abundantly enriched in every way, not just in your finances if you give, but in every way. You're going to be enriched. See, that's what the study, the university study said is that people who give generously, they, they, they broke depressions. They had physical health that came on them. They had mental health. They felt, they generally felt better. They got you know, away from medications as they did this. And this is what Paul said to the church in Corinth, hey, you're going to be enriched in every way. You're going to be enriched physically. You're going to be enriched emotionally. You're going to be enriched in your finances. You're going to be enriched every, in every way if you give generously on every occasion. So for when we take our, uh, your gifts to those in need, it causes many to give thanks to God. Solomon said very much the same thing. He said in, in Proverbs 11, verse 24, he says, generosity brings prosperity. I mean, isn't that amazing? Generosity brings prosperity. Isn't that opposite of everything that we think? We think, well, if you want to be prosperous, you got to be a good saver. You want to be prosperous, you got to be a good investor. If you want to be prosperous, you got to be smart with your money and, and you know, put it in the right places and put it to work in the right ways. Solomon, who had every right to talk about prosperity, I mean, he's still thousands of years later, still the richest man who ever walked this planet. Solomon says, hey, the key to prosperity is generosity. Isn't that amazing? That's completely opposite of what would be natural in our minds. But he says, hey, the key to prosperity is generosity. But then he says, but withholding from charity brings poverty. And then he says in verse 25, those who live to bless others, that's the habitual part. That's the continual part. Those who live to bless others will be blessed, have blessings heaped on them. I don't know about you, but would you like to walk with blessings heaped on you? Then he says, and those who, the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings will be saturated with favor. I don't know about you. I want to be somebody who's saturated with favor. I don't know about you, but I want to be enriched in every single way. I don't know about you, but I want to, be, I want to walk with blessings. Listen, if you're battling uh, hopelessness, if you're battling discouragement, one of the ways that you put on the helmet of hope, remember Paul said that in 1 Thessalonians, put on the, the hope as, as a helmet. One of the ways that you do that is by habitually giving and being generous. Now is not the time to withhold. Now is not the time to be stingy. Now is not the time to disengage or disconnect. Hey, let's go to work with this. Let's be generous. So I want to challenge you. Man, look for ways to be habitually generous. Look for ways to give. Find people in need and give. Give to your church and tithe, give, whatever it might be. Do it in a habitual way and you will find hope will follow you and you're going to be saturated with favor.